Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. It's our weekly show where Joanne Harris and I share seasonal garden advice. We feature a variety of garden lovers from all over Australia and the world, and we give you the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like the Garden Gurus Facebook page and tune in every week. This live stream is brought to you by Still and Garden Express. Garden Express is Australia's largest online and mail-order garden supplier, leading the way in helping customers create beautiful gardens. From their garden centre to your door, their easy-to-use ordering system takes the fuss out of planning your garden. To create your dream garden, head to gardenexpress.com.au. Hello, welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to be back in the chair. I'm filling in for Joe this week, who she's not too well, um, but um, and I've just arrived back in Australia after a, a very long run away. In fact, in the last few weeks, I've been filming in Canada. Uh, I was in, um, in Vancouver, in, in British Columbia, and we went up through the Rocky Mountains, ended up going into Alberta, driving to Alberta, Banff, Lake Louise, then down into Calgary, then we flew up into the Yukon, so that was a, a crazy busy trip. We were back for about a week or so, and then uh, I flew with the team to Ireland, and we filmed in Ireland and Northern Ireland, which was just uh, spectacular. You'll love these shows when they come out. And then uh, for the last few weeks, so pretty much the month of uh, October, I was uh, with the team again, uh, another team, and we travelled all the way from Norway, from Bergen in Norway, went down, we were in uh, France, we were in Holland, we were in Belgium, went across to the UK and then down to uh, Portugal and Spain. And then in the last week, believe it or not, I came back, I spent a little bit of time in Melbourne and then uh, I was straight over to Singapore and we're setting up a brand new gardening television series over there, The Garden Guru's Garden Revolution. And um, that's been my journey in the last few weeks. So just so you know what the background is, it's not that I didn't want to be here. I uh, definitely wanted to be here, but it was great to see uh, Jo in action. She does such an amazing job. Her knowledge is sensational. And I knew I could leave you in her safe hands. And I look forward to seeing her back in the next week or so. Now, we've got a great show for you today. It is, of course, all about answering your garden questions. But we've got lots of exciting things going on at the same time. When you do send your questions in, please let me know where you are. It's really important. Um, ideally, the town, the state, that, that's kind of critical. At the moment, with uh, the wet weather conditions we've got on the east coast, um, dry conditions now occurring on the west coast, it is all happening here. And every bit of advice I will give you will be driven by our climatic variation. So um, very important you give me that bit of information. It helps me so much. Um, I Look, we've got beautiful conditions at the moment. It, it is springtime. Things are starting to dry out. It was so wet in Melbourne, but the weather was starting to warm. The signs are spring is late, but it's coming and everything is going to happen in a big hurry, um, particularly New South Wales and Victoria. So South Australia and Queensland, uh, Queensland, you've certainly had your fair share of wet weather too, but you've been warm. And um, this is this is good because this will mean that plants will really start to grow and things will do really well. So 
that's why it's so important you share all this information as you're coming along. Um, we've got some great gardening advice. We've got a few little uh, special deals coming up for you, a very special plant actually. And and I've got my plant of the week. Remembering today is Remembrance Day, so uh, that plant is part of the theme. Um, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, it's, it's really critical. Now, to get started, let's talk about a super special plant. I was in uh, Fulmouth in uh, in England um, about five weeks ago and uh, went to this spectacular garden, absolutely beautiful tea garden. And um, it's the only tea producer in the UK. And they have a huge, big uh, arboretum, a botanical garden growing alongside uh, the tea plantations, and one of the plants that was absolutely prime for them was the the thing that they were so excited about was a plant called the Woolamai pine, and I thought we'd uh, have a chat to Rowan. Have we got Rowan with us as of yet? There he is. G'day, mate. Good hey. morning to you. How are you? I'm exceptionally well, and uh, I know you're struggling a little bit. There's a lot of people around Australia at the moment. There is a bit of a uh, a fifth round of COVID traveling around, but also um, lots of colds and flus as we have this sort of cool, hot weather conditions. It can be yeah. a bit challenging, and I know you're a bit under the weather, mate. So um, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, nice to be here as usual. Tell us a little bit about the Wool of My Pine. You guys, um, you are the primary retail partner for Wool of My Pine in Australia. You ship them all over the country. Tell us a bit about it. So uh, for those of you who are not aware of the Wool of My Pine, Wool of My Pine was a, a thought to be extinct tree. Um, um, it was discovered uh, in a small grove in the Blue Mountains um, in 1994. Um, so we're coming up to 30 years of discovery, um, and and it's a it's a it's a plant that's been around for millions and millions of years. So I think um, um, the, the original discovery of this plant was um, a couple of guys uh, were abseiling into a canyon and found these giant unusual pines with sort of like chocolate bubble-like bark, bark on them and unusual sort of pine-like leaves. So they took some samples back and it just happened to be that um, when they did that, there was a paleobotanist, as I understand it, and he looked at the the, the leaves and went, I've seen this in, in a fossil. And uh, they pulled it out. And, of course, it's called the Woolamai pine because it was found in the Woolamai National Park, right? That's correct, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's only about a hundred um, known wild plants in that in that grove in the Woolamai Forest. So, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, just before uh, we all went through this uh, this thing called COVID, we had the um, some bushfires that threatened that grove. Yeah, um, they flew in a team to protect it. Um, it was quite a quite a a COVID mission there because obviously nobody actually knows where that grove is. It's kept nice and secret uh, so that people don't disturb it. Yeah. Um, but now, obviously, what we're able to do is we've propagated these plants, and I've, I've got one here, and um, you're talking about spring and the growth. You can see just how much uh, beautiful new growth has just started to come through. So that That's gorgeous, isn't it? There is, is quite amazing, and that's yeah. just come on in the last couple now, of months. This plant you've got in your hands, um, representative of the plants that you guys send out, so they're packaged up in, in a protective packaging um, unit, 
and then you mail them direct to to customers' doors. So yeah. I can see uh, Bonnie pulling it out of the box there. This is the one that went into her garden. This is how people get them. Yeah, that's exactly how people get them. So um, they're they're protected and and they do they do mail incredibly well. Um, you can see there that Bonnie's um, unpacking it. It comes uh, you know really well protected to to handle the time and it's in the mail. Um, and uh, the offer that we've got on at the moment is really exciting. So the, the plant itself is $99 and comes in a 150ml pot like, you, like you're seeing there. Yeah. The most exciting part about the offer for Christmas is we're also giving away a copy of the, um, the Willamite Pine, uh, which is uh, James Woodford in it, and it talks about the whole process of finding it to, to growing it, and, and, and it just tells the whole story. So... Um, that's coming as a bonus. That's twenty four ninety five worth of bonus that you'll get, oh, wow. um, which makes a fantastic Christmas gift. Um, as they say, millions of years in the making. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. It is millions of years in the making. And, and you know, I alluded to the fact that um, there were plants in the UK, and and uh, I know in the botanical gardens that I visited over there, including Q. You know, they place so much um, value on being able to have this plant, and and you pointed out. There are only a hundred original plants left in the wild. This was so close to total extinction. At one point, it was widespread across the planet. They know that it was, you know, there were forests and forests of it. But through climate change and all the things that have occurred, it slowly started to disappear. But now, because of the the propagation of this plant and the distribution that you guys are doing, people can now have this in their backyard. It, it's a unique opportunity to have a plant that was so close to disappearing completely it, it really is it really is and you'll get a you'll get a detailed little care booklet that comes along with it um and also i've got here the certificate of authentic authentication which you'll get with the plant so wonderful um yeah it really is a fantastic gift i gave one to my father a couple of years ago and um yeah he, he loves it now rowan um it is the 11th of november uh, we Christmas is upon us. This would be a spectacular gift to give somebody special, but I'm really conscious of the fact that there's been so much talk about Australia Post being quite slow in getting deliveries out, and you you know it's everything's changed from letters now to to parcels. So parcel delivery is so much so much more common. But um, the real message here is get in early because there's going to be some point where you guys have just got to cut off and say, look, we can't send them uh, with any, you know, 100% guaranteed confidence of delivery in time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you touched on Australia Post and obviously they get an influx of orders this time of year. Um, also, the weather's warming up. So we don't like to um, ship live plants out. Um, too far close to Christmas, obviously, without guaranteeing Christmas delivery. So at the moment, our cutoff for um, WA, TAS and Northern Territory, which are our quarantine states, so the, mm-hmm. the, the states that have quarantine um, enforcement, um, we, won't, we won't ship past the 5th of December for those states. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you're wanting to get hold of uh, one of these and, and give it as a gift for Christmas, then it's important that you guys in those states are, um, are getting quickly. But even the other states, um, the, the rest of the country is sort of the 8th of December just to guarantee Christmas delivery. Yep. So what we've done is we've put together a nice little um, uh, gift card, if you like. So if you purchase a Wall of My Pine, we will try to get it out to you before Christmas. And obviously, um, 
Um, we, we will potentially put, uh, uh, ship past that point, but there's no guarantees it will arrive. So when you purchase the plant, um, you'll get a downloadable card that you can give to uh, the, the recipient of the tree and then obviously the tree will arrive um, you know, when, when, when things have settled down and, and it's not going to spend so long in the post uh, in the new year. Yep, terrific, mate. Look, it's a, such a wonderful plant. Again, you know, folks, you, you guys know Rowan, you know David and the team. This is a, a wonderful Australian family business. It's been serving uh, gardeners across Australia for multiple generations, originally as Van Burkles, and about 2,000 or so you guys became Garden Express, you know, the first online garden centre. You can shop there 24-7 and delivery is direct to your door and it never became more relevant uh, uh, than when we had COVID and now so many of us are used to shopping this way. The plants are beautiful. You've got completely unique plants like the Wollamai Pine and great deals. Rowan, if people go, if they want to get it, it's gardenexpress.com.au. Absolutely, that's it. Um, there'll be a banner for the Willamite Pine um, as soon as they land on the homepage. So just a click, one click through, um, and they'll be able to pick that up. Um, it's also worth mentioning that we do um, guarantee all of our plants 100%. So if if it does happen to arrive, um, not quite the best, um, we 100% stand by that. So give the, the lovely ladies and customer service a call, um, and they'll either refund or get a new plant out to you. Um, and like I said, we 100% stand by that guarantee. How good's that, mate? Look, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you're feeling a bit better soon. Give Thank my you. regards to David and we'll look forward to, uh, to catching up with you next week. Sounds great. Always right, a pleasure. Buddy. See you, mate. See ya. What a great company. Lovely people. I mean, really, really lovely people. Uh, and you just heard that guarantee that sits on all of their plants. There's not too many that can offer that. So it talks volumes about, about the quality of that organisation. I just love supporting family businesses. And this is one that every single Australian can actually work with and, and enjoy the, the, the spoils of their work. Online Garden Centre, Garden Express. All right. I know the bit you're asking about. It's like, I've got questions. I need my questions answered. Let's get into them. Okay, and the first one is Amin in Mount Barker in South Australia. Now, can you please help me with my walnut tree? Now, this is a really, a very, very classic thing. If you've got grapes, often grapes get um, a blister mite and walnuts get the same thing. And you can see it here on the leaves. It's those, those big bulges on the leaves. That's been caused by a mite just as the leaf was developing, not when the leaf is mature. What we're seeing here is residual damage um the mites themselves uh are probably they could have moved on they could have been predated by some other insect uh or they could still be working their way through the plant but it's highly unlikely as as the trees mature it's fine unfortunately those leaves are not going to change they they're going to look like that for the rest of the season the time to treat this is generally in the winter period and just as the new foliage is about to burst. And that's when the mites are springing to life as well. And the treatment is generally a lime-sulfur mix. So spray over the, over the foliage and the lime and the sulfur uh, act and, and cleanse the plant of both fungal diseases but also um, insects like mites. So um, the news is that, look, it's not going to affect the plant overly negatively it doesn't look as pretty as it should you don't want it to get any worse than it already is but um spraying now there's no real point you're not going to change anything so my recommendation is make a note in your diary for august next year give the tree a spray and then as the new buds burst just as you're getting the new foliage starting to appear 
give them a secondary spray and that should clean off the majority of the mites and reduce the amount of damage nice and easy keep moving along array is in queensland and now this is interesting i don't know this plant as the zigzag plant um but uh, the one i know zigzag plants quite different this is actually an epiphyllum. Look at this. This is a type of cactus. And many of these epiphyllums do open at night. Now, Ray said that um, once in 12 years, you've seen it open. And you can see this in the late afternoon. It's in a pot. Um, but he's moved to Bribey Island. And it's not opened uh, either in the ground or shown in the hanging basket. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Okay, a couple of things I know about these plants. So interestingly enough, when they're root-bound in a, in a pot they produce lots of flower. So they, they respond to stress and root, being root-bound and hanging baskets is the perfect example. Um, when they're stressed, they will um, produce flowers. When they're getting lots of food, uh, lots of water, they tend to be pretty happy. So this is one of those plants you've got to kind of treat it mean to keep it keen if you know what I mean. It's like a good husband, right? You um, you just need to keep um, keep applying the, um, I suppose, growing it in, in pots and, and let it get big and woody and full of foliage and full of roots and don't be feeling like you've got to fertilise it and water it all the time. The only time I'd ever fertilise this is when the foliage starts to turn yellow and at that point in time, just a general all-round fertiliser is all it needs. Hopefully that helps, Ray. Liz is in Meadowbank in Sydney. Can I help? Can we figure out what's going on with your rocket? Let's have a look. Oh, Liz. Okay, this is really unhappy, and it's unhappy for a couple of different reasons. Uh, I would say that that soil, it looks like it's caked, so it looks like it's breaking apart and it's solid. That's never an ideal scenario. So incorporating a bit of gypsum into that raised garden bed is going to improve the structure of the soil. The second thing is it looks like it's dry. Now, when plants are stressed, and this plant has definitely been stressed, they become more vulnerable to insect attacks. And you can see that this is also uh, being smashed by at least one or two different types. Um, and I would say that the most obvious one is caterpillars. Uh what you need to do is you probably need to give it a bit of a spray with some pyrethrum. You do need to dig some gypsum into that soil just to break it up and improve the structure. And you need to be applying a controlled release fertilizer. So something like mm. Osmocote or Troforte does the world of good for that. So at least hopefully that helps you. This is just about getting your plants happy, but lots of nutrients and regular moisture. Um, Rocket love regular moisture. Hopefully that helps. Linda. Um, let me have a look here. Hoping you can tell me if my indoor palms need feeding. Their leaves are a slight yellow rash. Oh, yes. Okay. I don't think it's spider mite. Let's have a look at those leaves. Now, you can see this. You can just see it's like you're starting to see little spotches in the Kintia palm leaves. I recently did a story, I don't know whether you saw it on the show, on Lord Howe Island, and uh, there's a patch in the rainforest where it was just sandy, and the leaves of the plants were exactly like this. And when you're in sandy soils that are lacking all the nutrients, you start getting splotches like this occurring in the leaves. The answer is it is time to feed it. And you need to use a comprehensive all-round fertiliser. So, again, Osmocote, Troforte, one of those controlled release but very complex nutrient-based fertilisers um, I would be using the, the controlled release form and probably just in the short term, maybe even a liquid feed over the foliage wouldn't hurt it. It'll do it the world of good. Hopefully that helps. All right, let's keep rolling along. Tyson, 
It's great to see you back. Um, Tyson's from Baronia in Victoria, joins us every single week, always has amazing stories. Predominantly, they're about planting, uh, growing plants from seed. And uh, you're asking about the flax, the scarlet linum, uh, linum seeds. Um, can you plant them into the ground or somewhere else? What I would recommend you do, Tyson, is grow them in a tray with some propagation mix, really important. And what will happen is you'll get the little seedlings start to emerge. Just keep watering them about four weeks down the line. You prick the little seedlings out into small pots and then transplant them into your garden. Those jiffy pots are fantastic. So maybe even getting one of those little greenhouses from Mr Fothergill's would be a good way to go. Hopefully that helps, Tyson. It's lovely to hear from you this week. Let's see. What else have we got? Let's go. We're going to WA. So uh, Heather is in Jandabup, and you'd like to propagate some baronia from plants that you've already got in your garden. Um, please tell me ratios and type of mix. Well, look, the pre-mix um, of a potting mix is interesting. Uh, I should should bring this up. There's usually two types. Uh there's one that you can make yourself, which is usually a, 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 a coarse river sand, um, a cocoa peat or sphagnum, uh, not sphagnum, um, a traditional peat moss, so uh, Irish peat or, or one of those. Um, they're getting harder and harder to get your hands on because um, peat bogs are slowly being dug up and disappearing. But um, so, so cocoa peat is the one, usually a mixture of the two. It's generally something like about um, 50% sand, 50% peat. It's about retaining moisture but also good drainage all at the same time you can however and there are some cocoa peat uh, propagation mixes that are actually all cocoa peat no sand in them at all what i would recommend you do is actually just get a pre-mix bag so the guys at osmocote have a propagation uh, mixture that you can buy in a bag you probably want a 10 kilo bag um, i would use that um, what you're what you're trying to do here really is get these little cuttings to, to grow. You need to keep moisture up to these. They cannot be allowed to dry out at all because they will um, they will die. Um, and you've got to keep the moisture consistent with them. So little one of those little greenhouses, probably about four weeks taking tip cuttings. You strip the, the, the leaves off the bottom, pop them into the top of the soil, uh, water them in, uh, lid over the top, keep the humidity up. You don't want to let them dry out at all. And then after about four weeks, you're going to find you've got little roots appearing. After about eight weeks, it'll be time to move them into little jiffy pots. Uh, again, keep them protected. They really want to be through, you know, in shade right through the summer months in a cool, moist position. They can't be allowed to dry out. Hopefully that helps, Heather. I've got to think about these things as we're going along, how I would do it, and that's that's what I'd recommend. Matthew is in Melbourne. Hello, Matthew. Uh, we've, we've transplanted an established lemon tree into a terracotta pot uh, from a gap of only 30 centimetres, uh, also right next to the decking. Now, you've saved as much of the root ball as possible. Anything we can do to have it succeed? Well, let me tell you, there is one thing that you can do that's really, really good and that is use sea salt. So sea salt is not a fertiliser. A lot of people say, oh, I applied sea salt and my plants, you know, they're not growing quite as fast as I wanted. It's not really what it's about. Sea salt is about making sure the root system is happy and it's full of plant hormones that come from that seaweed, which is predominantly um, the, the bull kelp from King Island. And what we've learned from that is that those those plant hormones, those, those, um, those what we call phytochemicals, get down into the roots and they help the roots recover. Sometimes they'll help it seal off 
some of the pests and diseases, so some of the former damage so that diseases can't get in. And then secondly, they will stimulate new root growth. And that bit is the most important thing, which is exactly what you want for your tree. So whether you're transplanting seedlings into the garden for flower right at the moment or the veggie patch, whether you're transplanting full-grown trees, sea soil is the solution and you want to drench the soil with it now that it's in its pot and you probably want to follow it up again in two to three weeks, follow it up again in two to three weeks, but don't feed it because the feed, the, the soluble nutrients, can burn the roots and you really want to give it about two months of sea soil, keep the moisture up, and then very gentle, slow-release fertilisers in small amounts and let the tree slowly recover. And once you see vigour in the tree, you know the roots are fully recovered and it's on its way. Hopefully that makes sense again. Janice has asked a question, what do you know about the magical revolution of hydrangea? I know nothing about it, Janice. Um, there are some incredible hydrangea um, collections out there these days. And uh, this is just one of them. I think it's the one from um, Tesla, the bulb company. But look, I'll, I'll be completely honest, I know nothing about it. What I do know is that now is the time to be enjoying hydrangeas. There's some magnificent hydrangeas in the marketplace. And whatever the variety is, head into your local garden centre, check them out. We're about 10 years behind the breeding programs that were coming out of Japan and the Japanese breeding of hydrangeas has been spectacular. There's dwarf varieties, there's big varieties, um, there's double flowers or flowerlets. Um, it's incredible. So get out and check your local garden centre out and have a look at all the different varieties. Um, they really are amazing. I'm sure the guys at Garden Express have probably got some too. Uh, Jafar is from New South Wales. My citrus tree was full of fruit, and then later on all of the fruit fell to the ground. Could you please help me? I am going to suggest it's one or two things, Jafar. If it's in the ground, um, that would suggest that the ground has been saturated. So not, not surprising considering the amount of rainfall that's been going on. Trees, when the roots are suffocating, will often drop foliage and often drop fruit. The reverse is over, let's say over here in the West, as the ground dries out, trees will naturally shred, shed leaves and they'll also drop some of their fruit. But if they drop all their fruit, it's usually due to suffocation of the root system, which is usually due to, you know, oversaturation of the soil. Uh, there's really not a lot you can do. You can try and punch some holes in around the outside uh, and put something like gypsum in, which will improve the structure of the soil. But, um, yeah, it's these are some of the challenges that we're experiencing as a consequence of this three-year El Nino pattern that has caused so much rainfall uh, right across the eastern seaboard. Sorry, I wasn't much more help with that, Jafar. Um, Keith is in Moorbank in New South Wales, staying in New South Wales. Why are most mango trees on the east coast not giving mangoes? The flowers came and dropped and there was nothing. And we've had a lot of rain since January. Same problem. So on the west coast, uh, hot, dry winds, just as mangoes come into flower, can ruin the flowering. It, it, you can see them produce lots of flower and then drop them all. Same thing will occur with avocados. On the east coast, too much rain when the flowers are all open will saturate and create a soggy effect with the flowers. Uh, pollination doesn't occur and you basically have the flowerlets all drop and land on the ground and no fruit set. And I would say this is a case of... Um, wrong weather conditions at exactly the wrong time 
and this is going to be a bit of a problem, I think, into the future. I I know we will get mangoes in the future. I know we're not going to have these kinds of saturated, soggy weather conditions every year, but we have had three years of it, and we've had three years of pretty poor mango crops for a lot of people, particularly in New South Wales. Keith, be patient. That's all I can suggest. The, the likely scenario is that when the tree is able to set fruit properly, which will be next year, you will end up with a massive crop. So something to look forward to. Terry is in Durian Bay. Durian Bay is in Western Australia. It's uh, north of Perth. It's a really good question. She's transplanted two large range of pennies about four months ago. Seem to still be alive, but there's no leaves as of yet. I'm wondering if I should feed them with sheep manure or fertiliser. I don't know if you just heard what I talked about, Terry, but um, putting nutrient into the soil of a, of a freshly transplanted tree or shrub as the new delicate roots start to emerge can be fraught with danger. What you really want to do is make sure that you're supporting stimulating root growth without putting too many salts into the soil, which is what most fertilisers are. So using something like sea salt is a good way to go. Now, the good news is your frangipani should only just starting to just push out some, some little growth shoots now. In the next month, you should start to see recovery. Um, frangipanis are incredibly tough and they do transplant really well. Get the sea salt into them. I think it's going to make the world a difference. All right, uh, we are rolling along and we are actually heading into a pretty cool little segment. This particular, this young man is one, a uh, very inspiring human being and two, an incredibly talented chef. Here's Brendan Pang. Hey, I'm Brendan and today I've got some fresh coriander from Trev's Garden, which I'll be making my family Mauritian samosas and a coriander yogurt with. Let's get started. So for the filling, I have some pre-boiled potatoes. But before we get to that, I'm gonna fry up some spices. So I've got a neutral oil here, which means uh, no flavor. I'm using grapeseed. And then into that, I have some spices. So some cumin seeds, some black mustard seeds, and some coriander seeds. It's only been about 30 seconds, and straight in goes my minced ginger. And I also have about a cup of frozen peas that have been thawed out. I cook that off for about a minute until the peas are nice and soft. And then next I'm adding in some curry powder. Can't really have a samosa without curry powder. And the seasoning, a generous pinch of salt. My peas are cooked and next that's gonna go into my mashed potatoes and some fresh coriander. Alright guys, so the filling's ready, and I guess why I love this dish so much is that one, it's so easy to make, two, it reminds me of home, very nostalgic, this is something that my grandmother made growing up. However, I am using some wonton wrappers today, which is a nice little hack, I think, at home, instead of making your pastry from scratch. My samosas are all folded now, and I'm going to fry them, and what I've done here is I've got some neutral oil, so I've got canola oil in my pan about three to four centimetres high, just enough for these to submerge. And whilst the samosas are cooling, I'm gonna work on a really quick coriander yogurt. And for that, I have yogurt, coriander, ginger, garlic, chili, lime, and some garam masala. And to finish, a couple of leaves of coriander. There you have it. My Mauritian samosa with a coriander yogurt. 
I'm totally true to his Mauritian and Chinese heritage. Brendan comes up with something fantastic. Interesting little thing about use of coriander. Coriander is one of those plants a lot of people think is a tropical plant, but it actually grows quite high up on mountains in sort of China and, and sort of through that region into Thailand. Um, it's, a, it's a cool, loving plant. So if you're finding that your coriander is bolting the flower when you plant it, the weather conditions have got too hot. That's all it is. There are some slow bolt varieties. Keep your eye out for those. They usually have it on the label. It does make growing coriander so much easier. Okay, let's keep rolling along with our questions because they are flowing through thick and fast. A couple of you who very lucky, Jafar, for example, New South Wales, two questions in one episode. My pomegranate tree hasn't produced fruit in nine years. Please help. Jafar, one bit of advice. Stop feeding it. Don't feed it. Treat it really mean, and it will stimulate some really, really good growth um, and subsequently flowering. Should be basically producing flowers about now. So um, keep it dry. If it's got lots of water on it, pull the water off if you can. Um, definitely don't feed it, and the pomegranate will produce. They come from dry, arid environments, and they perform best when they're when they're literally neglected. So a bit of advice. Albert is in Cannington. Why do millipedes, what, what do they do in the garden? And uh, are they any good? Uh, the question, I suppose, is really saying, look, you've got a lot in your garden. Um, you find them sort of sticking to dead leaves and flowers that have dropped on the ground and, and below into the pots. Interestingly enough, millipedes are not necessarily a bad thing at all. In fact, the millipede, what it's doing is it's taking old dead tissue um, and sometimes wood, so bark and stuff like that in your in your mulch, and it's converting it basically into a fertiliser by consuming it and processing it. Um, it's actually feeding the soil. The thing is, they they're quite voracious, and you can build up big populations of them. And once they get too many of them, they might start moving towards some of your softer leaf plants, uh, particularly seedlings, and that can be problematic. So it's all about balance. The trick with millipedes and um, things like slaters as well is squeezing some oranges. So cut them into half, squeeze the juice out, and then take those halves, put them out into the garden beds in around the area where there's big populations of them. They will come in just on dusk too. They're very active at night. They'll come in and they'll start eating the inside of the oranges out, collect those oranges, put them into a plastic bag, pop them in the bin or you know, dispose of them however you want to get rid of them. And uh, you'll bring the population down. You don't need to be applying chemicals as a general comment. There is what it's called cupex, a very effective barrier, so it stops them from coming into the house. But I certainly wouldn't recommend you go spraying that broadly around the garden. They're not such a bad thing. They are a, a decomposer, if you like. They break stuff down, so um, they can do a lot of good. Tyson, another one back. Two questions, Tyson. Very lucky. Hey, um, you've asked if you can plant Flanders Remembrance poppy seeds in the ground or somewhere else. Tyson, it's a bit late. Uh, you really want to do that sort of May, June, July. Now if you plant them, you're going to find they might germinate, but they really won't come to anything through the summer. They do want autumn, winter conditions, uh, sorry, spring, winter conditions to get the best results. And, of course, they should be flowering sort of through the winter. So don't do it now is my advice. Leanne is in Wodonga in Victoria. We're staying in Victoria. That's great. Um, how often should I fertilise citrus 
whilst they are flowering and forming fruit? It's actually a really good question. And the answer is you should never feed them when they're flowering or forming fruit. Now, interesting thing is when uh, the citrus sort of decide, when they go into flower, they decide how big that fruit's going to be. If you start applying lots of fertiliser and lots of moisture after that, you'll often find that it keeps pumping up the energy into that fruit. And just as the fruit's starting to ripen, it splits. And you'll find all these big cracks and splits in the fruit. Now, there's nothing wrong with the fruit. There's no disease. It's just it got more energy in there than it was ever intended to be the full size to be. So the lesson here is wait until the plant has produced its fruit and you've harvested the crop. And as soon as the fruits mature and you're harvesting, taking it off, give the plant a really good feed because it'll only be another three to four weeks afterwards and it starts producing flour, at which point the plant will evaluate how much moisture and nutrient it's getting and it'll set the size of the fruit. So if you do it immediately as the, the fruit is fully mature and you're starting to harvest it all off, you'll find that the next crop is bigger than the one before. Little trick. All right, let's keep rolling along. Jeanette, you didn't tell me where you're from. Oh, no. I'm going to take a bit of a guess. I don't know where you're from, but I'm going to take a guess because the question is about avocado trees. Now, you've grown one from seed and it's covered in flower. What should you do? Actually, nothing, Jeanette. The interesting thing about avocados is they have male and female flowers on the same plant. But typical to male and female, we're both active at different times of the day. So the males will open often in the morning and the females will open in the afternoon. And what the trick is, is to have pollinators moving between those flowers through that period of time. So you're transferring pollen from the male to the female and that'll guarantee your fruit. The things that interfere with that are things like strong winds, heavy rain. So I can't guess where you're from, but what I can tell you is if the weather conditions are relatively dry, bees are active, they, they, uh, blowflies are actually a big pollinator for um, avocado tree flowers, uh, and ants. If they're all active on your tree, you should end up with a crop. And it doesn't matter that you grew it from seed, the fact that it's flowering is the key. So, well done. Fingers crossed. How about letting us know how you go? You'll know in about a month's time. You'll see all the little fruit set and all the old flowers will have dropped. <laughs> Libby is in Melbourne. Hello, Libby. Um, I love borage and I've been growing lots of it for the bees for the past two years. Thoughts they've copped a bit of a battering with recent rains in Melbourne. They're nearly all dead. Is there anything you can do? Yeah, it's probably time to take them out. I'm taking the borage out of my vegetable garden right now. Um, it, blue flowers are really, really good for bees. So I try and leave it as long as I can because the, when the bees come in, if they land on yellow flowers or red flowers, they can be quite aggressive. So they can come up and sting you because they're protecting their their um, their, their food source. But blue flowers tend to be calming and passive. And as a consequence, the bees are a little bit more submissive and a little bit easier. So uh, planting borage in around beehives or certainly having them in and amongst beds is a good thing. If you were going to do anything, maybe collect some seed and replant some. If, if your weather conditions are mild and it's possible in Melbourne, um, you can get another crop coming through. But borage is a bit of a – it does come and go. So don't don't get too hung up on it, Libby. It might be just time to rip them out, put some new ones in. Chris is in Port Pirie in South Australia. G'day, Chris. I'm having trouble with my four-and-a-half-year-old apricot tree. It has heaps of flowers grapefruit set and grew to about cotton bud size and they fell to the ground. I was warming the chainsaw up, but I decided to give it another chance. So any help would, anything would help. That would be great. Um, 
We've got the team coming through. It's, it's all happening here. But, hey, what your solution is, the chainsaw idea is actually not such a bad idea. And what I mean by that is this. If you were to lean an axe up against the tree, the tree would start thinking it's in pretty big trouble. Um, it's not really necessarily the axe because the tree doesn't know what an axe is. But there is a thing you can do to stimulate that fruit set and to keep the fruit on. What's happened here is there's been some kind of shock and it's more than likely warming up. It's, the soil has actually gone dry and it's causing them to drop the fruit when they're, when they're quite young. This is a natural shedding process and it should still retain fruit on there. But if it's dropping all the fruit, banging a few copper nails into the base of the tree will make the tree feel like it's under threat. If it feels it's under threat, it will hang on and produce as much fruit as it can. Not always the best quality. Sometimes it's a lot smaller fruit, but it will hold on to that fruit to develop the speed. It's all about survival and continuing on the generation. So a little tip there that might work. Kathy is in Pinjarra. Pinjarra is just north of Perth. It's not that far north. And uh, Kathy said, I've put down some fresh gum tree mulch. Uh, will that have an effect uh, on putting in new plants? If it is fresh mulch, any of that um, what we call green waste, any of the, the bark and the leaves that have been put through a shredder, uh, that can be quite problematic. And what I mean by that is uh, because it's raw material, it's got to break down. And in the process of breaking down, it requires nitrogen. And so it starts taking nitrogen out of the soil. So if you're putting uh, some fresh plants in there and that soil that they're in is actually a really good source of nitrogen, you'll actually find it sucks the nitrogen out of them. Your plants will turn yellow. The compost will keep breaking down slowly, but your plants may not establish. So my advice would be only ever put in fully composted green, green waste mulch. Uh, or in this case, gum tree mulch, uh, any of those sorts of bark mulches. A little bit of advice. It really can cause some quite big problems. And the other thing with composting is that when you go through a hot composting process, you sterilise any of the bad pathogens. That's so the fungal diseases and some of the bacterial diseases that can cause problems in soil, hopefully. That little bit of advice helps you there. Okay, Merv's in Bicton. We're staying in WA at the moment. This is great. Hi, Merv. Um, how can I get cos letters to form a heart? Mine are just leaves and they go to seed. Not enough nitrogen in the soil. It's nutrient in the soil that's your issue. So, um, Merv, you're going to have to up the ante. If you're growing them in the garden, in garden bed soil, I'd get some Troforte and I would dig that into the soil. I'd actually dig it into the top 20 or 30 centimetres. Um, it's full. It's got 60 micro and macronutrients in there. It's full of beneficial soil bacteria and fungi, and they will they will enrich the soil and get it going. And then I would plant my cosletter seeds in, and you'll end up with beautiful big hearts. Um, but, yeah, most of these leafy vegetables won't grow quite properly, and that includes the brassicas as well. Um, unless the soil is, a, is rich in nutrient. It really does need a good mix of nutrients as well. Um, you know, you can you can stash it, you can, can boost it with some particular ones, uh, potato-y manure and things like that, but I'd go for the more complex ones. It's a lot better. Jody is in Melbourne. How do you get rid of harlequin bugs? Well, harlequin bugs can do quite a bit of damage at this time of the year, and it's not easy to get rid of them, but I don't really know them. A lot of people, they'll have the cross on their back, um, they we touch them, they um, spread out this horrible smelling liquid, but that is actually your opportunity. So you can either manually collect the bugs, um, which will bring the population down and should reduce them, 
or you can spray something that's equally smelly. You can use the same strategy that they use against us, against them. And the classic is a garlic chili spray. So you can make these yourself. You don't need to buy them. You can, but you don't need to. Um, and it's just literally getting chili and garlic into um, crush it, pop it into a one-litre jar, shake it all up, make sure it's thoroughly mixed through, let it sit for 24 hours, then pop it into a sprayer and throw in some olive oil, shake it all up again, make sure it's thoroughly agitated and sprayed over the foliage. And they don't like that smell. They will move away. So that's one way to get rid of them. And you're not using a harmful poison. Ready in Melbourne. Let's go to Brisbane. Colleen, we are belting through our questions, aren't we? Colleen, how do I get my anthurium to flower again? All right. Little trick, Colleen. Plastic bag, right? Over the top of your anthurium. But inside, put three banana skins. Leave it for two weeks. Take the plastic bag off. Within a month, your anthurium will be producing lots and lots of flowers. Just keep the moisture levels consistent in the soil and um, and it's a good way to go. And you can kind of cheat things like um, uh, bromeliads are a good example where you can sort of trigger the flowering by putting them in there. What's going on there is as the banana skin breaks down, it's releasing ethylene gas. That ethylene gas stimulates uh, flowering in these plants. Just a little trick. Um, that's what I'm here for, sharing some of these these growers' tricks, some of these ideas. Okay, uh, Susan, can you see Susan? I'm not sure where you're from. Can you please let me know where you can purchase the metal protectors for trees that were shown on last week's episode with Neville? Had a rusty look. I believe they mentioned OxyShield. You can find them in your local Bunning store. They're one of those products from Jack. They've got so many cool products that just look good but make gardening so much easier. So I would suggest that that's what I would do. I'd pop into Bunnings. I'd pick up a few because they do stop your trees getting ring bark. The biggest mistake people make. They go around with a line trimmer, they keep hitting the bark, tearing it off. It's the outside bark of the tree, not the inside of the tree. It's actually where all the nutrients and all the moisture is conducted from the roots up to the top and back down. And if you cut that line, if you cut through that cambium layer, is what we call it, um, you stop the flow of nutrients. And if you stop the flow of nutrients, guess what happens? Your tree dies. So protectors are really, really important. All right, Savannah. Hi, Savannah. You're from Mandra. We're back in WA. About an hour south of Perth, not far from Pinjarra, but it's right on the coast. Mandra's got really sandy soils. Um, and you're right. She said, I wouldn't even call it soil. Um, I've just transplanted two 30-year-old camellias. I gave them lots of water during the transplant. Used a special azalea rose camellia potting mix on one uh, with cow manure and mushroom compost. And to the second one, special blueberry soil mix from the Green Life Soil Company. I'm concerned I may have watered them too much during the transplant. I'm worried because uh, it could cause root rot. And is this possible? Is it possible to overwater? I've also mulched with lupin and pine bark mulch. They were pruned back by about three quarters prior to transplant. Many thanks for your help, Savannah. I don't think you could have done anything more than what you've done. Interestingly enough, the, the special blueberry soil mix from Green Life Soil Co. and, and the azalea rose camellia potting mix, they're probably pretty much the same thing. There's Their soil mix is designed for acid-loving plants, and that's going to be your challenge in Mandra. I think 
your camellias, they, they do struggle with transplant sometimes. But if you've got most of the root system out, you reduce the foliage back down, you're using some sea salt, really important, you should get a good result. You're just going to have to be patient. It will take them. They're 30-year-old trees. They're going to take a bit of time to recover. So be patient with them. Fingers crossed you have success. Uh, staying in WA, we've got a bit going on at the moment um, in WA, which is great. Greg's in Parkerville. Now, we've put in some skylights into our living area. My wife uh, has her indoor plants. But should I be wary of too much light now? Uh, I'm sure direct sunlight would not be ideal. Now, it depends on your skylights. A lot of skylights um, have got a, 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 I'm trying to think of the correct word for it, but um, they've got a colour to them. They're, they're, they're opaque. They're not clear. And as long as it's not clear direct sun belting through glass, which will magnify it, into the indoor plants, it would burn them if that was the case. Um, as long as it's not that, you should be fine. If that's what you've got, you might want to think about during summer putting some shake-off over the top of the, um, the skylights themselves. It'll just take the harshness out of the sun and that'll keep your plants really happy. Shay Lee. Well, Shay Lee, I think I might know who Shay Lee is. She's recently attempted to propagate her grandmother's roses and coated the cuttings with rooting hormone and have been watering them regularly. And they've dropped all of their leaves. Have I killed them or is there still a chance? The answer is there's probably still a chance, I would think. Roses are generally propagated, not so much from cutting, but generally they are grafted or a bud going onto a rootstock. Uh, but in saying that, you can grow roses from cutting. Typically, you would take those cuttings during the winter just as they are starting to um, produce buds. They're starting to come into spring, and that would be the most ideal scenario. I, I think I would be patient, Shaylee. I think you'll probably have a bit of success. But the trick with this is definitely take quite a few of those cuttings as you can. Good way to go. All right. Let's have a look at, I can't believe it, episode 12 of the Garden Gurus for this spring. is our 20th anniversary. Here's a little sneak peek of what's coming up. G'day, folks. Welcome to the Garden Gurus. I'm Nigel Ruck, and we've got a lovely show for you this week, full of beautiful colour and great gardening advice. One of the essentials for living plants is light. I'm going to show you a clever way of bringing this life-sustaining light indoors for the benefit of your plants. Hi, I'm Brendan Pang, and today I'm making okonomiyaki, which is basically a Japanese savoury pancake using some fresh cabbage straight from Trump's garden. I'm not sure whether that really was straight from my garden, Brendan. Not sure. <laughs> Doesn't matter, though. It's a great recipe. Make sure you catch the show this weekend. Check your local guides. I'm pretty sure it's 4.30 pretty much across the country, but sometimes it does vary. We are in that time of the year when there's lots of sport. Unfortunately, gardening doesn't always sit above sport in the priorities of the network, but that's all right. If you miss one of the episodes of The Garden Gurus, remember you can always catch it on Nine Now. It's it's one of those great opportunities. And there's lots of repeats on Nine Life as well, usually at about 8 o'clock on a weekday morning, but check your local guides. Okay, plant of the week. Have a look at this. It's Remembrance Day. This is all about the sacrifices made in World War One. This particular plant 
is, oh, there we go, is um, one of the plants bred out of King's Park. And you'll know it. It is a Geraldton wax, a wax flower. But take a look at the amount of flower, remembering the time of the year. We are in what? What is it? It's the 11th of November? 11th of November. And this is in full flower, smothered. You can see there's a little bit of new foliage just starting to burst through. But this particular plant is called Local Hero. Now, it's been released by Helix. And I'm teasing you because you can't get any at the moment. The thing is, this is being released next year. And a dollar from every single plant sold will go towards the SAS return servicemen. So I thought on Remembrance Day, I might show you a plant that you can look forward to again. It's called Local Hero, and if you want to find out some more about it, keep watching the Garden Gurus because I've done a story about it. I went up to the flower farm and saw it in action. It is amazing. It's an absolutely stunning plant, whether it's hedging or whether it's going to be, you know, it could make this wonderful informal hedge because it's so compact, but it produces so many flowers, you can't see the foliage. It's incredible. It really is an absolute stunner. And this is all part of that incredible breeding program that comes from the guys at Kings Park. Um, they, they've been doing amazing things, Digby and his team, and you're going to see so many more absolutely stunning Australian plants. And, you know, if you're in a dry, sandy condition, um, extreme conditions, uh, coastal conditions, this is the perfect plant. It really is. And if you just want lots and lots of colour, makes the bees happy, does all those sorts of things, makes you happy, Keep your eye out for Local Hero. Maybe go into your local Bunning store, your local garden centre, and say, look, I know it's not out yet. There are only going to be 25,000 plants uh, when it comes out next spring. Say, I want one of those plants. Please book it for me now. Please get your order in now. Make sure you do it because it is a great cause as well. It's helping those men and women that are protected um, you know, our freedoms, uh, our way of life. And uh, I think it's wonderful that the guys at Helix have done something to, to give back as part of releasing a beautiful new plant. Well, I'm really sorry about this because we are just out of time. Uh, should mention that today's show has been produced as a consequence of the incredibly hard work of Shaylee uh, Russell, and the absolutely magnificent Jessica, who makes sure that the Garden Gurus ticks over each week as well. So this is one of our, you know, one of our great super teams. They are doing some amazing work. And they give us the ability to come and join you each week as we produce this live series. So thanks, guys. You are awesome. We are back Saturday. Keep your eye out for your guides. I know we've just done that promo, but seriously, your support of the Garden Gurus means the world to us. It really does. Um, there will be some winners of seeds. I don't think I mentioned the competition, but, you know, every week we give away those amazing Fothergill seeds. Shay Lee will be sending a message to our seed winners today. We will be back next Friday at 9 a.m. Western Standard Time. That's midday on the East Coast. And remember, you can always jump online. You can check out, if you want information about gardening, our website is an amazing resource. And you've got previous stories, you've got fact sheets, you've got links to products and all sorts of things that help you have a beautiful garden. Or if you want to watch some stories from the show, um, please just join us on our YouTube channel. It's thegardengurus.tv. And... Yeah, that's it. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. It's been great to be back. Loved spending some time with you. And thanks so much for all your kind words. We'll see you again. I'm Trevor Cochran. See you next week. The Garden Gurus Live. <laughs>